Grab that coffee. Let's go. It's Good Morning NoCo. I'm Tanner Schwent. That's Brian Gary. Hello. Hello, world. Angel Padilla doing the production work. Joining us now up on the line, it is our next guest, Chris Vanderveen, Director of Special Projects for Nine News. Chris, how are you this morning, my friend? Morning, guys. How are you? Hey, we are absolutely lovely. Yeah, you you you, you, you rocking with this time change, Chris? Uh, no, and I'm not. I've never been historically a coffee drinker, so it's like it's got an added problem. I'm one of those weird people that's like in his late 40s who um, who hasn't really had coffee most of his entire life because he doesn't really like it. It's weird. That, no, I I was the exact same way. It wasn't until I turned 50 something. And I'd been a morning man for over 30 years, but I never drank coffee. Hated the taste of it. Didn't like anything about it. And now it's, uh, for some reason, I'm addicted. Well, I will say I've been able to, like, dodge most of my, pretty much all my career, that early, that dreaded early morning shift. <laughs> ah. um, and, like, I mean, we have, we have reporters that get into the station at, like, 2 or 3 in the morning. I suppose I'd have to change my ways if that was the case. <laughs> um but no, and I have to get in normal hours. I think I, I think I've made it so far. So we'll see. Yeah, see, <laughs> see if that continues, Chris. Uh, well, yep. obviously a very active uh, uh, weekend when it comes to news with the Silicon Valley, uh, you know, bank and what's going on there, North Korea, what's going on there. But I, you, you tweeted out about a story that I don't think is going to make a lot of you know the national news stories this morning, Chris. And it's about it's about a medical uh, helicopter crashing. Can you walk us through what? you saw in this and why you thought this was kind of a big deal? Yeah, it's super interesting. So a number of years ago, we, we, we did a, a lot of uh, work on heli- medical helicopters and how medical helicopters were, would go down and they would burst into flames. We had a very serious crash in, in Frisco, uh, Colorado, around 2015, where the pilot died and the flight nurse was burned over 90% of his body. And the, the, re- the reason for that is that a number of helicopters in this country are equipped with really not so great, not a scientific term, but not so great fuel systems in it. And so a helicopter was, helicopters would go down and the, everybody on board would survive the crash only to have the fuel tank rupture. And, and because of where the fuel tanks are located in a lot of helicopters, the fuel would pour into the cockpit. And because there's already an ignition source, because the helicopter is already hot, it would then catch on flame, it catch on fire, and people inside the cockpit would suffer very serious injuries, if not fatal injuries, because of those fires. And then we identified for a number of years, we worked on this project for around three years, and, and got, eventually Congress changed a law that requires now all newly manufactured helicopters to have a crash-resistant fuel system in them. And that's a big deal because what was happening is that there just wasn't a lot of pressure to change this. There's some costs associated with it. But what happened in Frisco was showed is that there needs there needed to be a change to protect a lot of people who fly in helicopters, whether they be flight nurses, flight crews, um, uh, health crews, um, police officers, all sorts of individuals that fly in helicopters. There's television news reporters who fly in, in helicopters. And so this was a big deal. And so when you see this crash that happened over the weekend, over the East Coast, excuse me, late last week on the East Coast, and it goes down and it doesn't catch on fire, that's a really big deal. And what I talked about at the beginning of it is we talk a lot in the news about bad things that happen after bad, after bad events. And in this case, a good thing happened. It doesn't undermine the severity of the crash and the injuries that were suffered. 
but in the in the same vein, it means that those people, those people on board, didn't suffer catastrophic burns. And that is a change in the industry that's been happening over the last few years. As more helicopters are built with crash-resistant fuel systems on board. What is a crash-resistant fuel system? What did they do to change it? Well, it's it's simple. There's simple things that you can do to make a, a and a lot of it's a lot of it's just common sense. What was happening in a lot of older helicopters is that they have a, what what people would refer to as milk jugs, and, and think of what a like a plastic milk jug, you know, especially when we used to have them. What what they what they used to look like? They weren't. They were rather flimsy, and they would crack upon a hard landing or crash. And now you have sort of like bladders and other sort of valves that sort of like automatically close down when there's a rupture. And so it, all the system works together just to make sure that when a hard crash happens, they don't split open and then pour fuel. What, what the government has been doing, what, what uh, helicopter companies have been doing for a number of years, is they're literally drop a fuel system from a certain height and have it hit the ground and then see what happens. And that's how they were sort of gauging if a system was uh, crash resistant or not. And they've been able to sort of do this more better. With not crazy technology, the issue is, like, as we explored in our stories, the technology's been around since the 70s. It just wasn't being used. And now helicopters are forced to have it when they're newly manufactured. Sounds like David Letterman type of testing. Let's drop this off the uh, 20th right? floor you know, and see what happens. Yeah, on like it. you used to do with watermelons and stuff. Yeah. Chris, do you, right? do, you feel a, do you feel a little like sense of pride uh, knowing yeah. that, you know, I, who knows how much of a role that the reporting that you guys uh, did uh, played into this, but it was something that you sh- you shown a spotlight on, and now we're seeing the changes that are positively impacting our world. Yeah, we were a part of a number of reporters around the country that were working this. But when the law was introduced uh, into Congress, it really was our reports that were cited by a member of Congress as the reason, as the drive to put this forward. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, people say all they want about local reporters and how we're idiots and how we don't know anything and how we mess things up and how we're the enemy of the people, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, this is work that reporters do. We take a look at problems, and then we push the system to potentially change it. In this case, I think this is one of those changes that undoubtedly will save lives. That is speaks to the power of journalism, too. I mean, it, it yeah. really, really does. And, you know, highlights why we need to keep having great reporters, great people who dive into things, who are doing it because of a passion to make a change, because they see something that's not right, and it's uh, up to people like you to shine that light on it so people hear about it. So job well done, Chris. Well, thanks. And it, it also shows that the, the benef- I'm the beneficiary of time. And in this industry, time is really scarce. Um, reporters don't necessarily have a lot of time. And one of the great things that I've been able to have at Nine News is time to work on stories. We worked on that story for about three and a half, almost four years, not constantly, but we were, we were continually doing updates on this. And that's that's you don't be you don't if you don't have a company or a station that believes in that kind of work you don't get to do it and without time I don't think that anything really changes. We're talking with Chris Vanderveen, director of special projects for Nine News. Now this is a story that originated out of Colorado, like you were just talking about, Chris. But uh, that that callback too, what is that something as a journalist, as a reporter, of calling back to to that segment because you know they, like you said that that's been a while ago that that was going on and for a lot of people you know they. They may have seen it, may have made an impact, and then it may have lost their mind, lost you know uh, left their minds. Uh, why why is it important to you for as a as a journalist to call back to this stuff? 
Because I think because once an issue is fixed, it, it, it's it's good for us to show that what is the net result of that product. And, and I shouldn't say it's not completely fixed. There's certainly lots of helicopters that don't have crusher system, fuel systems on board even still. But when you call into question something for a number of years, and then you can tell your audience that there's been a resolution to it, at least to some extent, and that this is a good thing that it didn't erupt into flames, and here's why. I think there's a benefit to that because it shows the power of investigative journalism, that you can shine a light on something and something changes, and then you can highlight something for what didn't happen. And what didn't happen last last week in North Carolina was a fire that could have really been catastrophic. There's too many people, as we found in our investigation, that unnecessarily died. And there's people like Dave Rapture here in Colorado, who lives in Colorado, who's a flight nurse for Flight for Life, and he was burned over 90% of his body. And this was, a, this was a case that got some attention, but there was a $100 million settlement in that case um, because of what happened to him. He burned over 90% of his body. He survived the crash. He was trying to get out of the helicopter, and that's when he burned. And he, um, along with the widow of the pilot, Karen Mahaney, really been the heroes in all this, they continue to talk about the dangers not just of crash-resistant fuel systems, but dangers that helicopter crews face unnecessarily because manufacturers haven't been pressured enough to make things safe, and operators haven't been pressured enough to make things safe for the flight crew. So that battle still goes on. But for you ask why I bring it up, I think it's because it's important because to some extent, at least in a small sliver, there's been a resolution. No, I, I, and I respect it. And I think that's a, that's an important thing to do is to call back, uh, Chris. Uh, well, let's uh, let's switch it up just a little bit. Talk about this Denver mayoral race. Uh, are any of these candidates weeding themselves out positively or negatively? No, and I, I think that's going to be a real challenge for voters. I, I think we're we're getting really very close to the election. Ballots are going to be going out very very soon, and people are going to have to make a decision on some people that they don't know very well or just sort of names that they've heard on television ads or flyers. Certainly, We've gotten a number of flyers here at our home here in Denver, and it's it's one of those things where people are going to have to make a really important decision. And I'm still, I'm still wondering, like, what's the over-under on the percentage vote that the person who gets first place is going to get and second place? Because keep in mind, this is if nobody gets 50%, which is all but guaranteed, there will be a runoff in a couple of months after that. And after that, you have the top two people in it. And what's the percentage they're going to get in the first round? Could it be 20%? Could it be less than 20%? Um, you have a real sort of like there's a lot of people that are within that margin of error to sort of be in the first or second row. And that means there's. it's interesting to be so close to an election and really not identify any front runner. There's people that are have money and so you see them having television ads on the air. But is that indicative of them having support? Potentially, at least it gets their name more out there. But there's a there's a real issue coming up because there's nobody that's been able to really separate his or herself from the rest of the pack. And so it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out come election night. But you can you can all but guarantee that no one's going to sh- no one's going to be able to say I'm the clear cut front runner after round one because it's just so hard to break break free from the pack. 
Yeah, I think there's absolutely zero percent. You're going to see fifty. Like, yeah. like you were saying, if somebody's in the upper twenties, yeah, you know that's that's going to be a huge, a, a huge win. It's, I think. It, it, right? almost, yeah, you could see upper twenties being a landslide right now. <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's what we're talking about, and and then being the clear cut front runner. But just because you get twenty nine percent or whatever it may be in the first round, we've seen people win that first round and go on to lose in the in the sort of the runoff. And that, that happens in Denver, too. But what's so interesting is in Denver, there's this assumption that may or may not be true, but historically it's been true that once you win that first election, then you're guaranteed to be in office for a while, not just for one term, but multiple terms. Um, we've seen it with Hancock. We've seen it with Hickenlooper. And so the question is, if, and that's why so many people are involved right now is that they see this opportunity is that if you don't get in now, you don't, you don't, you don't wait four years and, and run again. You may have to wait eight. You may have to wait 12 years. Uh, and that's a big deal as to in terms of people deciding when they're going to run. And that's why so many people are running right now because there's this opening that we haven't really had in a number of years here in Denver. Yeah, it is fascinating to watch and, and to to try and watch it uh, the separation take place and without people leaving their values. It, it, it's incredibly weird, to be honest with you, to to watch what's going on down there. We're talking with Chris Vanderveen, director of special projects for Nine News. Uh, Chris, what do you got your eyes on this week? Well, I think from a national perspective, it's definitely on banks, and there's going to be a lot of attention focused on banks today because of what happened to the Silicon Valley Bank and uh, and. You know, it raises this sort of specter of, of you know, banks don't like panics. And uh, and I'm not suggesting that a panic is worthy here, but it'll be interesting to see how not just the banks react, but the federal government already deciding over the weekend, President Biden de- deciding to shore up the investments, the, the um, accounts within Silicon Valley, making sure that those people are made whole. But the question is, moving forward, is there still confidence in the system? And you need a lot of confidence in the system for it to work, or a decent amount of confidence. And once people start to sort of you know, freak out a little bit, then that lends itself to some problems. And I, we're not there right now, but it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out this week. No, it will be. It's it's really interesting stuff. Uh, sometimes a little complex stuff, but you instantly start calling back to 2008 and, and things of that nature as soon as you hear about one one bank start to have these issues. Yeah, and it's interesting. You, you draw those parallels to 2008 is that you started to see some financial institutions like one after another sort of fall apart, and then you realize, oh, man, this is more serious than we thought. This doesn't appear to be that type of an incident. This, there's fundamental changes that have been made in the economy and what's different now than there was back in 2008. But living, having lived through that and remember it very well and the uncertainty a lot of people face, it's certainly something that everyone is. So it wasn't that long ago where we had a major crisis in the economy, and people hope that we can avoid that this time around. There's a lot of uncertainty, though. And that lends itself to maybe sometimes some irrational decisions. The economy sort of flourishes on sometimes <laughs> on irrational decisions. And so, yeah, we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, we certainly will. Chris, last question for you before we let you go. How do you fill out your bracket? How do you pick a, pick your uh, March Madness bracket? Is it gut feel? Well, Is it mascot? It has to be gut feel right now because when whenever my team, which is University of Colorado, no secret, um, whenever they're really not in it, I pay less attention during during the regular season, yep. so I have no clue who's really good, <laughs> and I have no assumption. I will fail miserably in my brackets, but I'm still going to fill them out religiously like I do 
because sometimes there's a hope of a small amount of pride in a couple weeks from now. That's exactly right. <laughs> Amen those, to that. Those bragging rights are worth a couple of minutes to fill it out, right? Yeah, but it's just so few and far between, especially the last few years. When you don't pay attention and you have to guess, it's a very unnerving feeling. But that's where I'll be later on today. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're all there. Chris Vanderveen, appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for all the great work you do here uh, for all of us uh, across the state of Colorado. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Take there you care, go, Chris. Chris Vanderveen, Director of Special Projects for Nine News uh, here this morning. 7.53 the time. It is Good Morning NoCo presented by Air Solutions. Let's get the latest in the tech world. Here's Kim Commando.